Welcome everybody to Hunt Free Podcast. Hunt Free was created to showcase the freedoms we all share in the archery and hunting world and to ensure the sacrifices made by fellow veterans is never forgotten by showing gratitude every day and giving back as much as we can. During the show, we'll sit down with fellow veterans and hunters alike, share sea stories from our time in the service, and share stories from hunts out in the woods. We'll talk about how we've bettered ourselves along the way, from life to hunting and everything in between. So let's get into the show now. All right, everybody. So welcome back to uh, Hunt Free Podcast. Uh, Today I got my good friend Austin Caldwell on from out in California. Um, So if you're tuning in, just kind of a reminder, um, the uh, Hunt Free Stars and Tines hats are available for pre-order right now. Uh, Links in my Instagram bio. Um, I know a couple of y'all bought them already and I really appreciate that. So thank you. I'm glad uh, that everyone likes them, likes the style because it's my style and I wouldn't sell something that I wouldn't wear, so you can pretty much see it's glued in my head at this point. But uh, so without further ado, we'll uh, introduce Austin, let him tell us a little bit about himself. And the main topic for today is hunting in California, which maybe if you don't know, it kind of sounds like it might be a fiction story, but I, I can assure you it is not. So he'll tell us all about it. How's it going, Austin? I'm glad you're on. Good, man. Thanks for having me. How are you doing today? Uh, not bad. Just uh, getting ready for work. So you know, pre pre work uh, mental dilemmas of oh man, do I really want to wake up at five a.m. <laughs> that clock tick down for sure. I know that feeling. Um, yeah, man. Uh, really appreciate you having me on. Uh, hunting California. Well, I guess I'll start with a, a little bio of myself. But uh, I'm thirty two. Uh, have three boys my own uh been hunting since i well hunting myself since i was 11 or 12 and being a bird dog for my dad during pheasant hunting um since i was nine um hunting in california with that it's kind of rough getting into it so you need to know some people um a lot of the stuff that we started hunting was uh private lands, guides, stuff like that. And that's kind of where I got uh, most of my experience with that. Um, uh, My first job, I was working at a gun shop and uh, the local archery shop burnt down actually. Oh geez. And yeah, they, uh, the owner left one of the butane or the propane torches on when he was doing the hot melt glue back in the day when he had to use the, the hot melt to put in those XX75 inserts on the aluminum arrows and uh, burnt the place down. And uh, so the shop that I was working at ended up picking up the slack that he kind of just left with that. So picked up some of the inventory that was saved from the fire and brought it over there. Um, that shop that I worked at, um, it was in the town I grew up in. They didn't really have an archery background, so they were kind of flying by the seat of their pants when they first started. Um, so we were all kind of learning together. Uh, the owners would go to the ATA show and pick up um, stuff from there, how to tie and peeps, do all that stuff, and then bring it back and teach us. And what they were learning from, they're more of a gun hunting background so 
they didn't really dive into it as much. So there were some bad habits created along the way. And then nowadays with technology and being able to go online and talking to other people, you're able to kind of work through the little quirks, tying a D loop, tying in a P, tuning a bow, whatever it is. And so by trial and error, I've gotten to a point to where I feel comfortable working on my bow. I work on all my buddy's bows. Um, and it's just something that I absolutely love doing. And now I would say, well, a hundred percent of my big game hunting is with my bow. Uh, the only thing that I use a mm-hmm. rifle for would be squirrel season, my 22, uh, but everything else, bow, turkey, I do squirrel every once in a while with a bow, but my 75 pound draw weight <laughs> and 500 green arrows is a little bit overkill for a little squirrel. <laughs> but um, yeah, got that. I got my boys into shooting now. Uh, my middle son's not too keen on it, but my nine year old, he's actually, he's gonna be nine in June. I just got him a mission craze nice he was shooting uh yeah it's a sweet boat he was shooting a diamond atomic before that and that's a really good boat for beginners like youth beginners because it's got a really low draw weight and then the only thing that i kind of hinders it from being a really really good bow is that it maxes out at only like 20 or 30 pounds and I think it's not even 30 pounds. I think it's like 20 and 25. And that's really low for anything that you want. If you are trying to harvest or use it for any sort of animal. Uh, But it got him into the field shooting and he thoroughly enjoyed that. And that's when he actually ended up outgrowing the poundage. I had it all the way uh, cranked down and he was just ripping it back with no issues. And he wanted to shoot further. So the mission craze worked out because... It goes from 15 pounds and then it will go all the way up to 70 pounds when you have it at a 30 inch draw length. And so it goes, the, I think it goes from a 19 or a 20 inch draw length to a 30 inch draw length. Wow. So it's a super, super versatile bow. That, and it's uh, made by Matthews and so it's quality. Yeah. Uh, and then my. I got my six-year-old. He just turned six last week, or actually on Saturday. Um, he inherited my oldest bow, or oldest son's bow, the diamond. And he's not super keen on shooting, so I need to kind of finesse it into him and get that all squared away. But when he comes out, he's going to be shooting that a little bit more. And then my youngest, he's going to be four in July. He's just shooting one of those little fiberglass longbows <laughs> and just anything that yep. you could put on that. He'll sticks, twigs, whatever he can. He's just hucking arrows out of that thing. He's loving it. That's so awesome. It's uh, awesome to get into it because just that bonding experience with them, but also yeah. just seeing the excitement when they – it doesn't even have to stick in the target. Just if the arrow comes within the foot of the target, they just get so jumped. <laughs> And it's just awesome to experience that. And uh, it's awesome to experience it when, like, one of your buddies picks up archery. It's just yeah. a grown adult doing it. But seeing a kid do it, they go all crazy and they start doing dances and stuff like that. So I'm uh, I'm enjoying that. It's, it's fun to be a father and 
get them outdoors and get them out and uh, enjoy things that a lot of kids don't get to do nowadays because they're stuck to the internet or yeah video games or whatever. Yeah, I agree. I think that's awesome. I mean, that's you, you. I laughed when you said the fiberglass bow because I know I had one. I had one of those, a little plastic compound bow, and then a a metal compound bow from Browning. So I I know the evolution. So and that you kind of hit on it. Um, you said that the mission craze uh, is able to go up to a thirty inch drawing. Like I was going to say that's good because if if not, then in a year or two you're going to be getting your son a VXR. <laughs> I'll just give them mine and change out the mods and go get the next one. Yeah, <laughs> that's usually how. Yeah, that's how it happens. That's funny. Yeah, the the that thing is sweet, and I think that it'd be he'll be good with that bow until his his mid teens. I'm thinking, and depending on like where he is, if he wants to get the thing that I think that's going to limit him is the weight is really based on the draw length on how much that cam turns and the limbs will drop with that. So he's a 20 inch draw right now. It's either 20 or 20 and a half. And I highly doubt that that bow is going to go up to that poundage with that draw weight or yeah. draw length. Sorry. But, um, he's super pumped up about it. And I got it set up where, it's got some of my old stuff. It's got almost all my old stuff on it. It's got my old spa hog on it. Um, I got That's a quad nice. ultra rest hunt room on it. <clears throat> um, actually, I don't know if you know Logan. Um, one of the, uh, he follows both of us on Instagram, but he uh, he gave me a stabilizer, B Stinger stabilizer, and a quiver from his bows. And hey, he's all dialed in. He's set up and i just bought some new arrows for them they're uh the eastern bloodlines i want to say they're the bloodlines or blood sports it's one of the the lower uh grain branch arrows i cut them short for them so it's gonna be dialed in that's awesome. I'm really excited to get them out on the courses and get them shooting a 3d that so. uh obviously i could tell that you love archery and you kind of you know you talked about how your archery kind of evolved from working at the gun shop and they took on the inventory and one of the questions i wanted to ask you because i always see you uh i know you mostly you, you like you said you only bow hunt and i always see you shooting your bow every day on instagram so one of the questions i was curious about was like what does archery mean to you like is it is it like your zen every day like kind of a moment of peace yeah it's um it's definitely a moment to unwind. Um, even before having kids, just life is hectic, man. Just yeah. the hustle and bust every day. I mean, waking up and having to work and then figuring out bills or even like some of the symbols, like, what am I going to eat today? <laughs> what am I going to wear? It's like, it, it gets, you can really get into the really nitty gritty stuff, but after a while, it just gets so monotonous. And I think that I want, I know everyone has a release, whether it's drinking, partying, hiking, driving, whatever it is, this is like my main one. Uh, it really stemmed from hunting and then came into a just 
it's my time where I can shut off my mind. Whether I'm fortunate enough to shoot at lunch at work, I got an area in the back of the shop that I can shoot. Just, just shut down and just forget about anything and everything that's going on at that moment and just shoot. And the great thing is like, Bo's not going to talk back to you. You don't have it to complain to you about anything other than if you dry fire to do something stupid, obviously. But I mean, there's really, like you said, it's a Zen thing for me. It's just a moment to where I don't care if I've already shot a hundred arrows that day, I would still love to go out and just shoot. Even if my form's crappy and I'm causing bad habits, which is something that everybody does when you start shooting too much, but it it's just something to relax Ooh. and even when like i've gotten asked plenty of times like do you like shooting with people or by yourself it's like both of them are the same to me because you're sitting there and you're just bsing with your friends having a good time it really doesn't cost anything after you get the initial investment to shoot your bow you can go to the range if you have a local range or even just find a field and throw a target up if you're allowed to. Yeah. And just shoot. Yes. And you can do some camaraderie, play little games and whatever it is. It's, it's a, a good healthy release. I would say it would be the best way to describe it. And, um, yeah, I, I try to do it every day. Um, a little harder when I got the kids, but, um, now that I got, I got the 18 and one, the target that I leave in my truck, that thing's falling apart now. But then I have the severed target that I leave at the house and I just throw it up in the back. Even if it's like 18 or 20 yards or even closer, I mean, 10 yards just to shoot and just yeah. hang out with the kids or BS with the friends and family. That's all that matters. Just spend time outside with people. That's what I like about it. I agree. Uh, spending time outside and shooting the bow i mean it's fun but now granted once you're actually chasing an animal then it's then it's extra fun so i want to hear a little bit about uh like i don't even know what to ask that's the kind of funny thing about this uh because i don't know about hunting in california so i want to hear you know a couple you know what do you hunt when where do you hunt at, like in the state and laws and all that good stuff? Give give us the short rundown of each piece. So if someone wanted to come and hunt in California, maybe fly out and hunt with you maybe one day, uh, what would they need to know? Um, so where I'm located, I'm located in the Bay Area. So I'm living right now in a town called Sunnyvale, and it's about 45 minutes to an hour south of San Francisco, just to give you a base of where I'm at. Um, hunting California, there's, it's, um, it's hard and not hard depending on what you want to go after. Um, there are elk here that are indigenous to this state in this state alone. It's the Tule elk. And that is a super interesting species if you want to dive into that later. But, um, that you have to do an application for unless you get a um, a landowner tag. And the landowner tag is basically what the state gives to someone that owns a piece of land and that has X amount of uh, elk on their property. Now, the landowner can take that tag and sell it 
and make a profit off of it or they can keep it for themselves. I don't know the full logistics there. I do know that they are able to sell it and people sell them for a lot of money. Um, one of the last elk tags that was sold was for a place that's not far from where I'm at. It's actually still in the Bay Area. Uh, it's called Grizzly Island. And uh, it's a Thule Elk Reserve. And you can enter into a drawing for it, which would be, uh, it's like an eight buck per application drawing. And then if you do the standard drawing, it goes into your preference points if you don't get drawn. But you can also do a fundraiser drawing where you're basically just throwing money at it. It doesn't go into your preference points or anything like that. It doesn't affect them whatsoever if you do get drawn for that. And um, the cool thing about those two things, if you do just a standard draw, you will have to pay for the elk tag once you, if you are successful, which is for residents like 500 bucks for an elk tag, That's not which is crazy. Yeah. It's crazy expensive if you look at like Oregon and uh, Colorado and other states where it's like less than a hundred bucks. Oh, okay, yeah. But if you think of it in the like grand scheme of things, five hundred bucks for an elk is awesome, um, especially here in California because it's such a unique species. Um, but if you do the fundraiser draw, uh, it's more of a crapshoot in the fact that you're not adding to your perkins points or anything like that. However, you don't, once you win that, or if you are successful for that, you don't have to pay for a tag for that. That's my understanding. They, once you get that, it's more like, here's your lottery winning, go have fun. And then you have to figure out where you want to hunt. Um, but for the Grizzly Island hunt, if you are successful, um, it's $500 and you're able to hunt there. It's super hard, real marshy. There's a lot of, uh, like sloughs that go through it's in a it's in a marshland like a delta and it's really rough hunting but if you want to get into that hunting you can do like a california water or sorry california deer association does a um auctions off one I believe rocky mountain oak foundation auctions off one and the last one went for like fifty thousand dollars wow for yeah but you're getting record class elk out there. Um, obviously, you're not guaranteed it. Yeah. But they're massive. Um, what is um? So there's, what is? First, this is way different than I expected for you to be like islands and marsh and all that. That's crazy to me. But I'm interested now. Like you, you said, it's a different species of elk. What do they look like? Like do they, compared to like a Rocky Mountain elk. So a tule elk is um. It's the smallest species of elk, and um, it's because of what they eat. Their indigenous territories are marshlands. They're named tule elk after the tules that they would eat in the marshlands. And so uh, we'll dive into this right now. So the tule elk back in like 19 – I have it written down somewhere. Um, I think it was back in 1940. Um uh, uh, let's see. Uh, sorry, 1870, they thought that they were extinct, that there's zero of them. And it wasn't until, uh, 
19 like 30 or 1940 that they found two breeding pair down in a town called Baker's just outside of a town called Bakersfield. Wow. And they were able to, yeah, just two of them from all of the writings that people have. There might've been more, but not many more. Some people say there's three or four, but the general consensus, there was two. And so they protected them and then they start growing the herd and moving them around the state. But there were certain areas in the state that they weren't flourishing because they were used to eating the marshy tulies and all that stuff. Um, they eventually moved them to the east side of Sierras for a little bit, and they ended up breeding with some of the Rocky Mountain elk. And those are mingled in there now. And now there's it went from essentially two elk in 1940s, and I think I wrote it down somewhere there's like over 4,000 elk now, 5,000 elk nice. in the state. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's a super awesome success success story, and um, it's pretty interesting once you start diving into. It. I was looking at it the other day, and uh, they're highly sought out because they're only in the state of California. And the thing that makes them even more cool is, so they are smaller, like a large, a big bull. Tulio is going to be like a little bit larger than what a cow Rocky Mountain elk would be. Mm. But the Grizzly Island ones, because they're in their like ideal habitat, can get up to the size of what a Rocky Mountain elk would be right around a thousand pounds or whatever. Um, the antlers on the Tulio are palmated where they have like the webs in between each one of the points. Nice. So it's more like, like to give a, a visual it's got like a moose like webbing in between them. Some of them don't have that. Some of them do have more of the Rocky Mountain oak style where the tine comes up and there's no webbing. But um, a classic tule oak's gonna have the webbing in between the tines where it doesn't just come down and go into the main beam. There is a good web. And some of them um, actually have at the end, instead of having one of the whale tails, they come off the back. It's more of a crown where it creates like a bowl, almost like a stack where yeah. it's built in, in So it's kind of like super, a, super. It's kind of like a red stag, I guess, a little bit. Yeah, it's very similar antler to that. They're not going to get as much mass. Yeah. And most, I mean, obviously you can find one or two that are going to have just some insane mass, big old, big, huge antlers. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they're. I actually have an antler here if you want to take a look at it real quick. Yeah, you might as well grab it for everyone watching on YouTube. It's just one more reason if you're not watching on YouTube, you should be because we get to show off a lot of antlers. <laughs> so, got this. Nice. But you can see the palmation up in the top there where it kind of gets the... Yeah, but cool little antler right there. I mean, decent mass at the bottom, um, and then just typical. You get the right here is good webbing that you see here, and then the the crowning at the top. That's a pretty typical style tool where you get that webbing in it. So. That looks awesome. Was that a was that a shed you found? 
Yeah. Nice. Yeah, they're shedding right now, so pretty cool. Um, yeah, and there's, I mean, they're all over the state of California now, as opposed to, I mean, like, in the 40s, they're only in one little town in the middle of central California, and now they're from northern California, near Oregon, all the way down, I think. I mean, they're down by L.A. I mean, uh, Joe Rogan hunts them at uh, the Tejon Ranch, which is right outside L.A. Oh. So, I mean, they're over now. And uh, they're bred in. Some of the Tejon Ranch ones are bred in with the Rocky Mountain Oak. So they are a larger tule oak. They're not a pure tule oak. Um, but they're super, super interesting animals. Yeah. Forest state of california um super cool like if you do like i don't know the cost i think it's let's see so if you did i wrote it down actually the um if you entered into a draw in california for elk per se um i'm not 100 percent sure what the license fee would be for non-resident however if you it's a couple hundred bucks i think it's like 200 bucks i'm not mistaken right around there and you are successful with an elk hunt, the elk tag, non-resident tag is 1500 bucks, which is pretty pricey if you look at, like I've been looking at Colorado, which is 600 bucks, yeah. 660 there. Um, Oregon's like seven something. So I mean, it's on the pricier end of things, but I think they're kind of going with the whole Pool factor, I guess. Yeah. Um, Tulio. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. But yeah. And California likes to get as much money as they can for whatever. <laughs> I, I I was thinking that the whole time, but I was just gonna let it I was just gonna let it slide. <laughs> uh I know it. Um I'm not a typical Californian, so uh there's a lot of people out here that eh, get all thin skinned about things but i know (laughs) so yeah we'll just leave it at that yeah um california hunting though is pretty interesting the fact that you can hunt anywhere from down by sea level all the way up to like 10 to 12 or higher thousand feet wow um and so it's there's such a diverse range and you can find animals in all of them so it depends on the time of year, um, essentially, obviously the season. So the state of California, I'm not sure how it is set up in different states, like where you're from, but in California, it's broken up into zones. And so you have um, certain zones that open up at certain times of the year. Um, and that each animal, okay, so say specifically deer, um, the first zone that opens up in California is a zone, which where I hunt most or almost solely. And it covers a massive amount of California. It goes from um, far north California all, all the way down to Los Angeles. It covers that whole thing. And then from I-5, which is the main highway that cuts California in half, to the ocean. So the whole west side of California, a good portion of it is this A zone. And 
archery season opens up in uh, July, the second Saturday in July. So wow, a lot of people, yeah. And uh, the, the thing that really gets people going is a normal hunt. You're looking at ninety to a hundred plus degree weather. So it's hot. So you're wearing and you're. You're barely you're wearing you're underwear. <laughs> yeah, some of the stuff you're dying, and um, it, again, it really depends. A zone being so massive, the terrain there's a lot of different terrains. See, where I hunt, I'm hunting actually in the foothills. It's somewhat urban area. Um, I have a lot of land that I can hunt that is really urban i mean there's houses within a couple hundred yards of where i'm hunting um and i've been hunting there for 16 years now um and it's at the base of the santa cruz foothills and this is for whitetail uh, well for blacktail yeah blacktail okay so so the blacktail there's only blacktail mule deer out here um deer wise and um so and the, the black tail is a super small species of deer as well, unless you get a hybrid mule deer. But a black tail, a big black tail isn't going to be more than 150 pounds, 175 at most. And that thing's probably in a farm somewhere getting force fed some corn. Biggest one that I've shot uh, on the hoof, well, it was gutted. Gutted and skinned was 115 pounds. Yeah. So, I mean, it's. It's not a big deer, but they're they're super cool. But you could hunt them, I'm like from the ocean all the way up. And the thing with the blacktail is to be designated as a blacktail, it has to be on the west side of I five. So basically, the western coastal region of California, and anything past that's considered a mule deer. Um, hmm. But yeah, so it starts the second Saturday in July. Um, I typically go out that weekend, obviously, try to get some as soon as possible. I like to be the first person in the meat locker with one kind of brag a little bit, you know. Just, <laughs> yeah. He's got that bit of an ego going, you know. Um, but that goes until it shuts down for only four days in August. So – it goes to the first Sunday in August and then shuts down for the weekday and then opens back up that Saturday for general season. That then goes to the third Sunday in September. So you get like a broad spectrum of temperature there. Um, obviously, July, August is going to be really hot. September can get hot. We get uh, what a lot of people call Indian summers out here where I mean, in September, it could rain one day and the next day be 105. It's oh super weird. And trying to hunt those, it gets a little rough, but uh, hunting over water is awesome. A lot of the hunting that my pops and I do when I hunt with them is over water. Um, when I hunt myself, I'm more of a spot and stop kind of guy. I can't sit down for a long period of time. Yeah. So I'm, I'm walking a lot, um, kind of keeping an eye out for where I would generally think an animal would be and glassing that, walking, and then same thing, looking under trees, um, watering areas, thick brush, kind of looking in those areas. 
obviously in the high temp days, they're going to be in the shade, find those areas that are closer to the water and kind of just go from there. Just again, trial and error, just knowing where they might be and kind of focusing on that area. Um, and then, yeah, that's the earliest season and it starts going from there um, in different zones. Um, most of them are going to be um, a lot of the higher success rates. One A zone obviously has got a good high success rate because it's a massive, massive area. Yeah. But then you get up in the Casino Mountains. Um, they got a really good success rate, which is north, northwest of the state, and then it gets up to like Trinity, which is near Oregon, and then back down to Lassen. That's like around Tahoe area. You can hunt. And there's some really big deer. Uh, public land hunting here is rough. Rough. <laughs> a lot of people want to hunt it. But the thing is, is like, I've noticed a lot of people out here, they always want to hunt, but they don't want to get out of the vehicle. And if they do get out of the vehicle, it's like walking to the edge of the road and glassing. Uh, I went up bear hunting September 7th and 8th, which would be the end of bear archery season here last year. And which actually coincided with the end of archery season for the zone that I was hunting in. I was hunting in B3, which is up in Mendocino. Um, I don't know if you heard the town Chico, just outside of Chico. No. And it's a big party area for college <laughs> people. But yeah, I was hunting out there and I I had already tagged out with my deer and I was solely focused on bear. And I saw two bears that trip. I had a chance at one, but I didn't feel ethical shooting. It was at 60 yards, stopped, drew back and started moving. And I just didn't feel like taking a shot when it was yeah. moving at that distance. Um, however, there's, I saw, excuse me, um, saw like 14 or 15 people that trip up there, all hunting deer. And none of them said they saw a single legal buck. And when I was up there, I saw two or three legal bucks, right? Like a mile off the road, just getting out of the truck and walk. Yeah. None of them had out of the vehicle. It's just, if you want to be successful, you got to put in the work. And it's, I mean, it's not hard. The terrain isn't insane. Where I was hunting, it was the highest was 6,500 feet. Hmm. And it's not super rugged. Obviously, there's areas that are going to be more so than others. But a good portion of it's roaded, which most people are going to be driving around. And then if you just go off, there's little clearings that you're able to go that are a mile off the road that nobody's been to in forever because they don't want to get out of the vehicle. And it's just, I don't get it. But if I had a tag, I would have been able to get at least tag out. If I was shooting straight, <laughs> been able to get it that time. I mean, people just need to get out. So you got public land. Say that again. Sorry. I was going to say you got to pack in further. I, I feel like I've heard that a lot of times is that the further you go in, the better off you are. Yeah, and the thing with Mendocino, so like Mendocino where is where I focus a lot of my bear hunting. Um, just from hearsay from certain people. There's a lot of roads, so it kind of makes it rough to get off and find a couple spots. Uh, it's not impossible, 
but there's a lot of roads there. Um, the last trip I did was with my buddy Matt. We went up to Lassen, and we went when nobody would ever go. We went during one of the a big winter storm, and it was supposed to get like freezing, freezing cold, like below zero, snowing. I'm like, ah, let's just go. We're gonna get it done. So we get out there. It never got below zero. I think the coldest it got was 15 degrees. Snowed a good portion of the time. Ended up raining at the end, which sucked. But yeah, we didn't see a human being, not one. And it was amazing. And at that time, you can use a rifle. We had a rifle with us, and we saw another bear, but didn't feel it was through some brush, and I just didn't feel right about that as well. But yeah, if you just get out and you got to get out into your out of the comfort zone a little bit, and this year was actually the first year that I hit public land really, really, really hard and stuff like that. I was like, man, I want to do that. And I think what people get freaked out about is, is like, what happens if I get hurt or I don't know what I'm doing. I might get lost or I don't even know where to start. And literally I went in, I went on, got a few things on Amazon that I can pick up just to throw in my pack. And one day I told my lady, I said, Hey, I want to do this. She's like, well, why haven't you? I was <laughs> like, well, that's a, a great question. Why haven't I? I mean, it's like, I got a truck, I got legs and just why not go try it? <laughs> yeah. I drove out there and I'm driving a Ford excursion. I put a inflatable mattress in the back, took all the seats out, slept in the truck. And it was awesome just being out there by yourself and just making errors, but you're still learning. I mean, it's, it's a massive learning experience. So just going out and trying to do that is awesome. And if anybody's like literally anybody, it doesn't cost a single cent to go out and do this other than like the stuff that you have to hunt, but it, you don't have to pay to go into a national forest and hunt. Uh, maybe to pay for a campsite if you're in like a designated camping area. Yeah. But most places have like turnouts that you can just pull off the side of the road and camp. So other than paying for food, that's all I had to worry about. Um, a good portion of when I was hunting was I got cell service. So I was able to call my lady and my parents and say, Hey, I'm all right. I'll call you when I get service again. And then I'd go around. If I saw service, I'd just text and say, hey, I'm all right, or I'm alive, or whatever. Yeah. And I think communication is what really freaks people out. And then after season, I picked up a Garmin InTouch or InReach, so I was able to – now I can send out text messages wherever I'm at as long as I have a clear view of the sky. And that's another thing that would be super beneficial for a lot of people that want to go back country stuff. That's a good insurance um, for sure. Yeah. Um, so you, you talking about that piece of gear and communication being key. Um, what other, if you had to only pick, I guess, three, I don't know if it's necessarily pieces of gear or things to keep in mind for people, if they're hunting back country, whether it's, you know, obviously your experience is in California. I'm not sure if you hunted uh, backcountry back country anywhere else at all, but just in general, is there a couple things that people should try to keep in mind? 
Um, so I've done some long, well, I guess it would be considered backcountry in Utah. It was kind of a spike camp when I was younger for some mule deer. And I've done some, it wouldn't be really considered backcountry. It's more, we stayed in a hotel and we went out and we hiked basically from sunup to sundown out in South Dakota. But, um, any sort of thing like that is obviously know or let people know where you're going to be and like a time frame. If you don't have like a the Garmin in reach or whatever, or you're not getting cell service, give your friends and family just, Hey, I'm leaving on this date. This is a general area where I'm going to be. And I should be back in cell service at this time. So if you don't have any communication between them and that time arises, then they know where general vicinity of where you're going to be and don't be the idiot. That's going to be like, all right, well, I told him here, but I'm going to move 20 miles this way. And then you're out being a chew toy for a bear or something (laughs) like that. (laughs) Um, You just need to. So, I mean, like the second you get into cell service, you can get cell service almost anywhere nowadays. I mean, obviously unless you're in a gorge in the bottom of hell or heavily treed area you're going to get cell service in a good portion of anywhere um but just communication is key um i guess that's really not anything that you have to spend money on but one of one thing that's crucial is protecting your feet i think especially if you're going to be hunting hiking and hopefully if you're successful packing out an animal yeah you want something to protect your feet and it goes all the way down to socks. Good. Uh, I actually just upgraded Merino wool socks this year, and it was a lifesaver. They got decent padding. You can wear them when it's hot outside. You can wear them when it's freezing cold. When I was bear hunting, it was 15 degrees outside and snow up to my shins, and my feet never got cold, and I'm wearing non-insulated boots. And I was wearing them when I was – hunting in August when it was a hundred degrees outside and the wool that doesn't take up any bacteria or smell or anything like that. So, I mean, you're on those backcountry hunts. Typically you're not going to be carrying in a bunch of extra clothes. You're going to wear what your gear and then layers if it rains or if it gets too cold. Yeah. So you can be wearing stuff a few days on end and you don't want to smell like a buzzard's going to come down and <laughs> peck at you. So the wool's, that, but also boots and that's one thing that i've been lacking for years is a good set of boots and i was i was hunting with rockies before that and they're decent um the thing is is like they tend to stretch out so you know like when you i'm assuming you're a country western fan you uh you got a set of cowboy boots not yet i need one <laughs> cowboy boots or any sort of leather shoe or boot like that tend to stretch. Like you wear them long enough, they'll stretch any shoe really, but the Rockies tend to stretch a little bit and you'd wear them. And like the first couple trips, they're awesome. And then they start getting stretched out and your foot would slide around in them. And I've gotten several sets from them that ended up just not, being waterproof when they said they were so even in the mornings going out hunting and there's dew on the grass feet were completely soaked in like 30 minutes and that sucks yeah so 
I invested in a good set of boots, um, something with awesome ankle support. I have a really weak left ankle. I've broken it twice. So I need something that's got really good ankle support. So I invest in a good set of boots. And most of my trips when I'm out bear hunting is like most. So I did 11 solo trips and I was doing about 10 to 10, between 10 and 12 miles a day on these hunts. So lots and lots of hiking. And, uh, that's one crucial thing. Um, I would say also a way to start a fire would be one, um, pyro putty lighters, waterproof matches, um, a fire plunger, whatever you, whatever it is, something that you are efficient in creating a fire. And that's going to do two things. You can treat water and make it so it's drinkable. So you don't get beaver fever or whatever. You, you don't want to get that. But it also helps you, I guess it does three things, helps you stay warm and also protects you. Predators do not like fire, so they're not going to be sticking around anywhere that you're going to have that. Um, if There's a lot of ways to get around with the fire starting. I, um, I always have a lighter on me, always have flint, and um, I just this year picked up some pyro putty too. And it's just a super little thing. And that stuff works amazing. Any like so they have a summer and winter blend and it worked great. It, it was snowing, downpouring snow. It was like fifteen to twenty degrees outside. I got some logs that were partially dry. Yeah. And put some pyro putty in it. It had a fire going while we were glassing and it was awesome. Nice. Um yeah, fire starter would be key. Shelter, you can build shelter, but obviously a light shelter if you can. Um, but if you're, if you're doing that, you can spike out. If you're like staying at one place and you're hunting throughout the day, I would say boots in case things go sideways, a way to start fire. And then also a good thing would be either being able to carry a good amount of water and, or having a water filtration system. And, um, that would be good. But if you have the funds to do some sort of like Garmin inReach or whatever other company has something where you can use your phone and or just text from yeah. a GPS unit is crucial. But when you're out in the woods, and like even if you fall and hurt yourself, just being able to send something out, say, hey, I'm here, come get me, or, or I'm hurt but I think I can get back to the truck or whatever it may be. Just the communication thing is key with that. And I think that helps with getting families on board too. Like loved ones don't like people diving into this whole thing as much because things go wrong all the time. Yeah. And so that extra sense of security, knowing your body is key as well. Um, you just gotta be prepared because like I said, I mean, in California, there's such a wide range of elevation that you're going to be dealing with. And at depending on what time of year, it can be sunny to snowing on you. And then in other states, you're going to be hunting at a certain elevation and above or certain and below. Just know your limits in that area and don't be stupid and push yourself over this certain limit. Don't run yourself out of water. Um, before you go out, use Onyx or base maps and 
kind of pinpoint. They have areas that say there's a spring here, there's a water source there. Oh, nice. Whatever. Pinpoint those areas and kind of hunt in an area that you know that you're able to access water or within a short distance get to a creek or a body of water that you can have some ability because humans can't live for more than what three days without water or something like that so yeah especially if you're running up and down mountains and all that so and that's the thing also a good thing would be i mean it's you can't really dive down to three it's hard to do yeah I but tell. a good pack like an awesome pack you you need a frame pack of some sort internal external whatever it may be but on a light day if you're pack if you're not staying in one area and you're kind of just like nomading it across the area you got your tent you got a sleeping bag and a sleeping pad or a hammock or whatever you're gonna be packing if you're lucky 30 to 40 pounds around so i mean if you're not carrying water with you and you know where the water sources are you're lucky enough to not have to carry water but your health comes into it a lot being able to carry that weight at elevation or whatever it may be yeah. on certain you you need to practice that and that's one thing that really was an eye opener my first two trips i hunted in two different locations on the same ridge but there were two completely different style terrains and it was eye-opening because i I tried to prepare for it and I just, I didn't take myself seriously. So train, like you don't have to lift any crazy weights, but just know that if you are successful, you're going to have to carry out whatever you have on your back as well as parts of that animal and or the whole animal, depending on how large it is. Yeah. So you just need to be prepared for that. Um. I'm learning a lot more than I realized, but I think I can beat you on one thing. You said that you couldn't, you said you couldn't break it down to just three things, but I could break it down to just one and that's money. That's it. Money. Yeah. You just said, tell people, Oh, you want to hunt out here? You just need some money. You're, you'll be good. <laughs> yeah, so like, I mean, hunting out of States always going to involve a certain amount of money. Obviously. I mean, yeah. travel time out here, obviously, whether you're flying or driving, um, even for me, where I was hunting, it was anywhere from three to five hours drive. And I like to make sure my truck and my truck tank is full before I actually go into the woods. So I stop at the last place I can fill up and I'm spending a couple hundred bucks on fuel and food before I even go into the woods. Now you're not going to be spending money while you're in the woods, but yeah, it always costs some money. And it's, I mean, that's just kind of like you pay to play kind of thing, but you can get away with not spending a whole lot of money and do certain things that you can essentially, I guess would be cut corners to make it work. But like sleeping out of my truck, I didn't need a tent. I didn't need certain things. I had extra sheets that I threw from my bed in the back and I slept in the back of my truck and I parked the truck in one campsite, camped there for the night, woke up, hiked, came back. And I mean, that's killing time because you're not able to hunt more throughout the day because you have to go back to the campsite. But that saved money in the fact that I didn't have to spend money on a tent 
or other provisions that I would have needed throughout the hunt. So yeah, I mean, obviously money is the thing. Um, if you're getting into hunting, if you haven't hunted or you're getting into hunting or you're looking at upping your game in hunting, spend as much money as you possibly can without going broke on stuff that's going to last longer. Cause yeah, I'll, you spend, I've learned that lesson. <laughs> if you're going to be buying, if you're just going to buy something that's, I, I can't even give a good analogy, but if you're going to buy something that's going to go out in a year and spend that same amount of money on the, another one of those, eventually it's going to add up to exactly what a good price one's going to cost. Yeah. So the initial investment is always kind of one is like a hard pill to swallow, but in the long run, it saves so much money. And like, I still cut corners on little things that I know that I'm not going to beat up too much. Like the tent that I got is an Alps engineering. It's not the best one. It works okay it protects me from the rain and snow uh, there's a million different ones that are a thousand times better than it but it works and i get away with it until then i'm gonna run it yeah. so i mean like obviously you can kind of massage certain things into it that you're able to get away with but yeah money you gotta pay to play you gotta pay to play. <laughs> That is definitely true. That's that's very true. But um man, that's uh that's a lot of info, but I mean I there all I could say is that I learned a lot because it's a, it's very good that I didn't just think to go try to do a hunt like that cuz you brought up so many points that I wouldn't even have thought of. Now granted, who knows, I may have looked them up, but you know, now I have that information. Now I know what to look for when I when and hopefully if soon i'm able to get out and do a hunt like that and i one thought i had was you mentioned that you slept out of your truck i feel like that might be a you know of course you waste time you know you got to hike and hike back but that i feel like that might be a good way to kind of get yourself started into it before you just go miles miles in with a tent and a pack and you know you got to kind of ease i mean there's going full full into it but i think something like that is is worth easing into it a little bit Oh, for sure. The, um, not gonna lie. I was scared as all <laughs> a human being would ever be. It's like you're going in the woods where bears like apex predators and mountain lions that wake up and just kill things for a living are going and you want to go sleep in a tent. It's like, it sounds great. And it's like not, messing with a bear or anything like that but just like going out and kind of getting back to the roots of hunting and just who we are as human beings is is awesome but easing into it helped out sleeping in a truck if if you have an suv sleep in that you've got basically a fortress around you so you don't have to worry about yeah any getting in um the one thing that did suck is it's a lot colder in a vehicle than it would be in a tent just because the air is getting under the vehicle and you're basically in this big tin can and so once it starts getting cold it starts getting everything else inside cold like think of like you have your vehicle outside when it's yeah. hot and inside your vehicle is just basically a convection oven just baking <laughs> everything inside 
So it's like the other way around. It does the same thing, but in a tent, like the way it breathes, it like we slept in a tent during the winter storm. We could have slept in the truck, but slept in the tent. It was 15 degrees outside when we went to bed snowing and we woke up. It was 30 something degrees of raining and I wasn't cold at all that entire evening. I woke up to go to the bathroom once and that was it. Went back to bed. And I remember sleeping in my truck in late September and it was only dropping down to like the high fifties. And I woke up freezing almost every night. Wow. Just, and I had sheets on, I had full gear. Like I wore my, my, all my camo underneath my sheets and just freezing. Albeit I was on an inflatable mattress as well. Mm. And that's going to get all the cold air, but it just that, the added security and like mental safety I had was worth it for me at the first like trip to do that. It was just easier. I didn't have to throw a tent in there. I had less stuff to lug around. It was just easier. And I'll probably end up doing that again this year because it's just safe space and being able to do that. It's just, you have a central hub, get that. Um, and it's just easier in my eyes. Um, obviously you're not going to be able to do that in a lot of States or in certain areas that you're hunting, you have to be miles and miles away from your vehicle, but where I've been hunting and the ideology of the, a lot of people here is you can get off the road just a mile or two and do that in a short time of walking and be in some good hunting areas without anybody bothering you. Yeah. So you don't have to worry about it. It's not like some of those like born and raised guys where they're going like 13 miles in <laughs> and then camping further in or whatever. But like you can still do that here if you wanted to. I mean, I know a lot of people that do do that and they see some monster deer that people would be like, there's no way that the California deer. Some of the pictures that I've seen some, some of my buddies, like my buddy's cousin shot one up by Tahoe and it was a toad of a deer. You would think it'd be like Utah style yeah. Rocky mountain mule deer, just massive. But That's awesome. Yeah. Public land hunting, just dive into it. That's like the best thing is like you go out and if you stay in your truck, make sure you got enough food and water and then work on what you need to do each and every trip. Like I was adding things and taking things out each trip, what I needed, things I didn't use, things I needed to use. You kind of just fine tune things, just like archery hunting. It's like, yeah. all right, well, I'm going to throw this. In there. It's like, I know, all right, I don't need that. I'm going to try this or just anything and everything. There's always just this finessing it to make it suit you best. And everybody's going to be a little bit different. So, I mean, that's the great thing about it. I mean, stuff that works for me, might not work for you and vice versa. I mean, yeah. Great. Well, I, uh, I really, I really appreciate all this information and I learned, I learned a lot, like a lot, a lot. And I don't even think I knew that Thule elk was a thing. So that was cool. You're gonna have to send me a picture of that so I could put, put a Thule elk and you shooting the bow on the thumbnail for this video. Uh, (laughs) but, um, I got a, I shot a tulio up when I was younger. Um, 
a super cool one. I shot it with a, a rifle. Shot with a thirty out six. Um, it was a beautiful seven by seven. Had big old crown palmation on the top. You could use it as a cereal bowl if you want. Nice. Um, but yeah, man. There's. I mean, I feel like we're winding down a little bit. I I didn't even bite into some of the other <laughs> stuff like archery aspects and things like that. But I know you probably need to hit the hay soon. So. Yeah, but well, that just means we'll have to do a second one. I don't mind at all. I want to. I want to hear about it. Oh yeah, I'm all right with that. Hit me up any single time. I love talking shop, man. All right, yeah. Um, but I got one more question, and then we'll wrap things up. And that's, uh, what does hunt free mean to you? Um, I think you've probably seen. I've been asking everybody, and uh, you know, I always I want to keep reiterating is that. It's not just the brand by any means. It's really just what do the values mean to you? Yeah, so I actually was listening to the last couple of podcasts, and the first one I heard you ask was when you asked AJ that. And I started thinking about what it means to me, and it, it's kind of hard to put it into like a – a file really i mean the best way i could think of it as is hunting free is taking something that you enjoy whether you me someone else and it doesn't matter who makes it what manufacturer what camo's on it whatever it is enjoy it be comfortable and proficient in it and just go outdoors and enjoy hunting and or just the outdoors in general but hunt yep. free hunt and um you just get outdoors and you don't have to be tied down to a certain company you don't have to worry about what other people think at the end of the day it's you being you and it's it doesn't matter what other people think. Honestly, it's like if you're shooting a, a twig and a string <laughs> at some like no name stuff and you're still enjoying yourself, it doesn't matter. Yep. Just go out, have fun. And I, I think the other aspect is that like let people know that it doesn't matter. I mean, it doesn't people don't have to go out and buy the best of the best. They can go out and buy an entry level bow, entry level firearm. They don't need to have special endorsements. They don't have to be sponsored by anybody. Just go out and do something that you love. And while you're doing it, I think it's more important to share it with people. If you have kids, share with uh, your kids, share it with your spouse, loved ones, family members, bring everyone that you possibly can out into the outdoors and like you don't necessarily have to enjoy hunting or that whole just out like just the aspect of hunting and the animals being harvested but you got to respect like the tradition of it and i think that that's where hunt free is kind of nice is like it's very broad it's not tied down to a real small thing. And I think that learning more from fellow members of the hunting community and 
teaching people that don't really know about hunting or kind of have like a dark cloud over hunting is like, yeah. we're not all out murder things. We're <laughs> out there to feed our families. Yeah. I mean, a good portion of what I eat wild game. And a lot of people that I know being from California don't hunt. I mean, I know I'll probably, I know probably most of the hunters in California. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like the people that don't hunt, it's like they weren't raised that way. So they don't, know how to kind of dive into it and they're not going to like not every store is going to sell elk or moose or deer or wild boars like the best thing is just like harvest one and bring some to them and let yeah. them enjoy it and just i think just that whole aspect of not caring what other people think and then sharing your adventures and your hunts and everything along those with people that don't hunt or even that do hunt, but just sharing those experience with other people is where it's at. I agree. Um, I, uh, I like that you hit on the, the broad thing is it's like, it's broad in the sense that there's no, like, you know, you need to shoot Hoyt or this, that, or the other, or Matthews or what have you, but it's broad, but then it all kind of centralizes that. And it's just like a community of hunters and it doesn't matter. So I, I agree. I really like that. And I like your uh, ideas on, on how to kind of, I don't know the word, but I guess just to show what hunting truly is to people who don't know, because I kind of talked about it with AJ and it's like, it's weird. Like, I don't, I don't necessarily see it. Maybe other people do. Um, but I believe that it is true that the hunting community is shrinking. So what better way to be able to strengthen it than by i mean if you give someone an elk steak i don't think they're gonna i don't think they're gonna oppose and then they're gonna be convinced real quick <laughs> social media kind of i don't know like news nowadays is mostly bad stuff so they're just gonna show bad stuff people like the cecil the lion thing or whatever i mean people doing dumb things not all hunters are that way yeah. i mean every hunter i know hunts takes that animal with respect and feeds it to their family or friends, loved ones. Like we don't hoard the animals. I absolutely love having a big meal and cooking it for other people that haven't had it and like doing a wild game feed or just sharing it with other people and sharing the experience and just showing people that we aren't just out there to kill things. And most times, most hunters know more about an animal than just a standard person that thinks they love an animal. It's like we study them, we research their habits. We like your last podcast. You said you were going to name one. What Armstrong? Yep. <laughs> right. You have a personal attachment to that animal. Like if you go down to the local grocery store, name one person that's going to know the name of that cow. <laughs> There's not going to be so just. Being able to share that and show people that we're not all just ruthless cavemen that club people over the head and drag them into a cave. It's we're out here and like we enjoy doing what we do and we have respect for other people's opinions, but respect for the animals. And we like to showcase our sport and the love for the outdoors and the animals that we are harvesting and 
sharing the wealth of that good, clean, organic meat and the experience and the stories to go with it, like we were just talking about. So absolutely. Yeah. I think that's kind of where hunt free isn't, it's not just like based around the hunting community. It's based on a large scale and the fact that everybody should know about hunting and know the ins and outs about it. It's like there's laws about it. There's laws written about how many animals be taken. Um, you have to take all the meat or certain states you're allowed some waste meat, but take the meat, respect the animal. And I think that just more people would be more open to it if they knew more hunters as opposed to like what they see on just standard television of what the news portrays us at. Yeah. That goes for a lot of things for sure, but I agree. I agree a hundred percent. I think that I think that the social media, social media and hunting, I mean, it's not, I don't think it's matured by any means. So I think that just in the next couple of years, I think it will truly benefit the hunting community and, and really any community, whatever that may be, because it hasn't matured yet. So if we just keep pushing those values, not pushing the values, you don't want to push them on anybody, but just expressing how we feel about them, I think it'll go a long way. So I appreciate that. And, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad like you're saying don't, it always causes issues when you do that, but just yeah. showcasing <laughs> it really just being proud of what you do. I mean, in anything, in anything in your aspect of life, be proud of it. And I think good comes from that. People see that you're proud of what you do and people will see that you res- are being respectful on any sort of aspect of your life. And people tend to have a good outlook when you go about it that way. And I think that's key, especially with hunting because it's super serious. We're taking the life of an animal, but we're not, we're not doing it because we're bloodthirsty. We're doing it because the meat's healthy for you. It's organic. I like to know where my meat comes from. I watched that animal eat. I was harvesting it. I took it. I know what happened between that. And I think that if you kind of break it down to those things, people understand. They might not agree, but they understand. And that's a good starting point because then you got to put in the door and then you're able to say, hey, here, try this. Or would you like to come with me one day? Just having someone tag along to see that. I mean, in a tree stand or a ground blind or even just hiking and just being able to talk to them about something like that, just allowing them to experience it. I think that'll open up more people. Uh, That being said, not everybody should hunt because I like to (laughs) harvest animals and I'm sure that everybody as well. But, um, but yeah, I think that like you're saying, there is, there's certain areas where it's dwindling and there's certain areas where it's growing. And I think that sooner or later, everyone's going to get to a point where they realize that, yeah, it's good to know where your animal comes from. If you're, eating meat or fish or whatever, knowing where it came from, how it was handled. And once you digest it, I mean, you, it's just key to know that. And I think just for anybody's health, it's good, but also knowing that it was respected. And I think a lot of people lose sight with that because they see the cows or the chickens in the farms and they're all being brutally raised or whatever. Yeah. So just there's a respect to the animal. I think that will, 
make more people realize that we're not all bad people. So, well, I, uh, I want to thank you for uh, coming on and sharing. I think we talked about a lot of great stuff. Um, so I hope everyone, you know, listens to everything and absorbs it. And, uh, I'm sure we'll be talking more about, uh, hopefully one day you and I will be talking about planning a hunting trip in California. Cause I, I'd love to come out other than that $1,500, uh, uh, tag yeah, okay. fee, but we'll see maybe one day. <laughs> um, but there's pig tags, pig tags, like 300 bucks for out of state. And there's certain things we can get hunting. I mean, deers, a couple hundred bucks. We can get you on something for sure. Come on out. We'll get you on something. All right, yeah. I'll definitely look into it. Probably not this year, but maybe next year. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, and not if you're uh, too famous to hang out with me. Oh, no way. <laughs> uh, but I thank you for coming on, and I really hope uh, for everyone listening that this brought you guys a lot of value. And uh, if you have any questions or you want to um, learn more about specifically hunting in California – um, then hit up Austin on Instagram at Cali underscore bowhunter because I'm sure he would love to talk to anybody about that stuff. And I learned a lot, so I'm sure he's got plenty more to share with everyone. But uh, thank you guys for listening, and uh, as always, hunt free. Thank you, everybody, for tuning into this episode of Hunt Free Podcast. If you enjoyed the show and want to help make a great impact on the veteran and hunting community, then share this podcast with fellow friends, veterans, and hunters alike. Follow us on Instagram at hunt.free underscore. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. And don't forget, hunt free.